0: Okay, I'm delighted to open Chapter 4 with um, a very good friend and talented writer and podcaster, Chris O'Connor. Chris has worked with companies such as Red Ladder, Leeds Playhouse, BBC Radio Leeds and of course Riptide and also has podcasted with uh, Mentality whose um, podcast is surrounding mental health um, issues with men. Um, Definitely worth a listen um, if you get the chance. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me and talking about your work. Um, I I think the best thing for us to do now is for you to tell us in three to four minutes, like your life story, or like your professional life story, or like, and we can unpick like what you prioritise in that. I think it's quite interesting exercise.
1: Cool. Um, Well. Despite my accent, I was born in Leeds. Um, I moved to London when I was about three or four. Um, grew up in West London, a place called Kilburn, which is near Wembley. Um, so that's why I'm a lifelong Leeds United fan, again, despite <laughs> my accent. Um, I went to a school in West London. Uh, then I went, I always had my heart set on coming back up to Leeds. My mum said I was obsessed with it. Um, so 18, I took a gap year, worked for six months, saved up some money, then visited some family in New Zealand, Australia. And then I came back and um, came up to university in Leeds to study philosophy and English. And uh, yeah, I loved it up here. Um, and then at the end of my degree, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, which I actually think is a good thing. Mm. Um, in the sense that I, I knew deep down I always wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know what I wanted to do in the sense that I need to earn money right now. Yeah. Um, so I got a job at the university in the career centre just doing data entry. And um, I did an MA in writing. And this was before the fees increased, so I think it was it was just about three grand. And I stayed at a mate's floor, rent free, um, and I worked and I did evening classes because um, the MA for writing performance publication was six to eight in the evenings because a lot of people were professionals. Okay. Um. So I did that over a year, studied writing, um, and then yeah, I always had it that I'd get jobs to just pay the bills, and then I would just focus on writing and entering writing competitions and trying to make it as a writer. Um, so I did street food for a bit, was a receptionist, um, trained as a careers advisor and um, did a bit of that and every evening I would focus on uh, writing competitions. So I'd use BBC Writers Room and there's quite a few sort of like groups on Facebook and there's a few uh, mailing lists and any competition I'd see, I'd add it in a spreadsheet, um, I'd put the deadline and I'd treat it like I did my degree mm. and I'd just enter, enter writing competitions with... Um, short plays, pieces of prose, poetry, longer plays, and after a while, if you, you know, if one's not right for one thing, it gets rejected. It could, you don't even have to write a new one because it could fit another thing coming up. Once so, you've got it, yeah, yeah. Once you've got them written, and um, yeah, I was lucky enough to win quite a few. Um, so I had a play on in London, a short play about male suicide, um, which is performed at Solid Playhouse, I had a play, a fast comedy at the Lyric Theatre in Hammersmith. Um, and around this time, I was like, this is what I want to do. This mm. is brilliant. Like, the first time I saw my play on stage was uh, amazing. My mates in London came along, my mum came along, my dad. um And it was just such a good buzz seeing your words live. And um one of those rare ones where you know directly if it's worked or not. Because they try and make everyone silent. Um, but a comedy, if people laugh, they like it. If they don't, they don't. And um luckily, it got some laughs and was reviewed well. So. I remember thinking like, yeah, I always want to be a writer and now I know that this is something hopefully I can I can do. Um, so I thought, let's try and get a job in, in the arts as that might get me a bit, a step closer. Mm. So I got a job with Opera North. Um, it was working in community engagement, working with community groups, bringing them to the opera. Um, and I did that for five months and I didn't really enjoy it. Um, just to kind of Being in an office, when I was at the career centre, it was like it was part-time and the other jobs I was doing were part-time because I wanted to be a writer and this was like a a permanent full-time office job and I really enjoyed working with the community groups but some of the aspects of the job and being in the office at set times just really didn't work for me. So against a lot of the advice I was given, I just handed my notice in after five months um, and I was renting at the time and I couldn't afford rent again so I was back on a mate's sofa. Um, and then I just uh, I just had this I don't know I just kind of I can't do I think life's too short to do something you don't enjoy Yeah that advice could be bad advice for some people uh, A lot of people said Oh you just stick out for a year or two It looked bad on your CV if you left the job after five months But like in another year and a half of your life doing something you don't like when you're young I just thought was was I not could, good could So how old are you at this time I'd be about I think about twenty five Um so yeah I, Quit that job, was a bit of a loose end, still um, picked up some street food work again. And then uh, randomly, I'd met Chris Lloyd from Red Ladder. At a, um, it was at a networking event while I was working up and off. And it was about uh, a, a sort of networking day on presenting and presenting skills. And uh, we hit it off straight away. I saw he had a Leeds United sticker on his phone. Hmm. So um, we started talking about Leeds, and we went out for a pint. And a couple of weeks after I'd left my job at um, Upper North, we went to go see the Leeds Rhinos, and uh, we had a beer, and he said, oh, how's it going at Upper North? I said, well, it well, could be better, because I've left. <laughs> um, and he said, oh, I was going to ask you if you're interested in doing some marketing with Red Ladder, um, three days a week. Um, so the stars kind of aligned really there, and I started mm. working with them. They saw one of the plays that I'd had on, and they really liked it, um, but they weren't going to commission it just yet, because I was still really new and emerging, so... I met a producer, Jenny Sullivan, um, and she helped me put in a funding bid for this play about male suicide to extend it and um, put it on again in Leeds and London. So I did that. um, We did two sell-out nights, really good feedback, then Red Ladder picked it up. Mm -hmm. um, And then after that, I got commissioned with Bug Light Theatre. I was recommended to them through Rod from Red Ladder. They approached me about writing a play about the IRA, but a kind of contemporary play about um well about terrorism radicalization because as soon as you mention those words now i think people immediately jump to um muslim extremism yeah um, but you know i'm old enough to remember that terrorism with an irish accent in the 90s and 80s and um well, i don't remember the 80s that much i'm not that old <laughs> um But, you know, when I was growing up, the IRA were a really big thing. And then all of a sudden now the media shift is on something else. So Mm. it was about reminding people that radicalisation could happen in any community. And it was great. Forever thankful to Bug Light and Richard and Keeley for the opportunity. Um, I worked with them on a follow-up R&D for a play called The Furies, which is still in development. Um, I got a commission with Riptide as well Mm. around this time. Um, Great people there. (laughs) (laughs) And that was on The Lucky Ones, the first one. Um, and we collaborated again on The Lucky Ones 2 and um, also The Lost Present. Mm. Um, I got a commission with BBC Radio Leeds and Leeds Playhouse on Exodus, which is about the migrant crisis. Um, and in and around this time as well, I think it was the end of 2017, I started um, doing the Mentality podcast with Stevie Ward from the Leeds Rhinos, who'd come and seen my play and we did an interview after it. Um, so, yeah, that, that my focuses at the moment are writing and um yeah, and podcasting, and I should say, I think it's something we're going to mention later. I do also do freelance social media, um, for a few arts companies, um, and also help out with website stuff because you just need another source of income. Yeah, uh, but that's kind of me in a in a off the top of the head nutshell.
0: <laughs> that's great. And so, so once you were in with the red ladder, basically, a lot of other companies, because you had that platform and. I guess coverage, mm. a lot of people came to you at that time. Yeah, yeah. So, did you find that that was a kind of turning point? You you left Opera North, you had your networks. Well, yeah. Because yeah. you, well, you, you got on, in with Red Ladder.
1: I, I hate the term networking. Mm. I went on a networking training day and I remember the advice was that, you know, you need to look up people in advance and find out who can be useful for you and like then go and find out conversations you can go and approach them with. And I just thought that is so, (laughs) I don't know. I I like to do organic networking where if you get on with someone and then it turns out you're both from the same, then it's great. But I don't want to go up to someone and be like, oh, you know, I I saw you're a Tottenham fan. I I would like a great win on the weekend or something and try and make some small talk if I know nothing about someone. So yeah, I I organically networked well, I think.
0: Yeah. And had a pla- then had a platform to Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Get other people aware of what work and your talent and that kind yeah,
1: of thing. Yeah, Buglight would never have um I'd never have got involved with them if it wasn't for the platform of Red Ladder. Um that's really Yeah. And unfortunately in the arts, so that
0: is how it happens, isn't it? It's that kind of you need that one thing to it's like a domino effect almost, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so you know, when I was coming into industry, I, I had no, you know, I didn't know anyone in it. Mm. I had no kind of, my whole thing was that I needed to prove somehow I was good enough. And that's where the competition side came in. Mm. Um, then when I kind of had a few of them under my belt, you know, people are willing to take you more seriously. Um, and yeah, that coupled with getting a reputation by being uh, associated with Red Ladder Theatre yeah. Company, um, mm. then was a platform for other conversations to happen. Um, one thing I, I think this
0: podcast does quite well is that kind of open source um, advice for people just starting out, and kind of to reverse engineer people's success. So, like, what? When was the point where you were like, okay, I really want to be a, a writer, and what was your biggest challenge at that time? And what advice would you give now, looking back on that, so eighteen-year-old Chris or twenty-one-year-old Chris?
1: Um, well it was always kind of like what I felt I wanted to do mm. in, in my kind of like growing up. I can't pick a specific moment when I was like, that was it. Um, but my advice going back it's tough because there's a thing in, uh, you see lots of books on like entrepreneurs mm. and people who make millions in business and they say, oh, well, here are the traits that people need. You need to be stubborn. You need to be this. You need to be that. But there's a thing called the survivorship fallacy. And that basically means where Say if uh, a boat sinks and then you interview all the survivors saying, oh, how how did you survive? And then you take all those things as what you need, but you're discounting all the people who didn't survive. And someone went and did a study on a lot of people who make it and go bust, and they have the exact same traits. They're stubborn, right. they don't take no for an answer. So I don't want to pull out things and, and make more of them just because I felt like I had them. But saying that, I think... The thing which really helped me is that writing was an end in itself so it never felt like it was wasted. So if I came home from a hard day at work and I spent like a couple of hours writing and if nothing came from that that wasn't a bad thing. That wasn't wasted time for me. Success was almost like a welcome byproduct. So having that attitude I think is really healthy because there is an element of luck in play. Um so as long as you kind of you know you can be happy on the journey you know, not focusing on the destination, I think, is really important. Um, and also, it is subjective. So the things I've been rejected for competitions. I think there was one competition I was rejected for. There were only forty entries, and they picked like eight winners, mm. um, which it, is
0: quite high. Um, like the ratio. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I was in like you know getting rejected for that. You're like, oh, I'm actually, you know, it looks quite shit mm. <laughs> on paper. <laughs> but the exact same uh, play then won a national competition. That was the first one I had on and. And um, there are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of entries. Mm. Um, So, you know, it is subjective. So I would say don't take rejection to heart. A lot of people take it really badly. I tell myself, don't take rejection to heart. Enjoy the process. Um, Enjoy writing because it's easy to forget that. Um, And just keep going with it. If you enjoy it and success is a welcome byproduct, but you don't mind anyway, just just crack on.
0: And what would you say to the people who are like, I don't know whether writing's for me, but I think it might be.
1: Mm. Find out by doing it is one. Go to writing workshops, um, enter competitions, get used to the habit of writing to deadlines, and you'll know inside whether it is or isn't. Um, yeah, and it's, it's hard. Because it's, I know the amount of hard hours and nights I've spent on it. I don't think it's something you should like dabble in, really. Mm. Like, it's you've got to really want to do it. You can't teach someone that. It's like acting almost. It's like kind yeah. Of really I guess there have are to... some parallels. Yeah. You've got to put up with a lot of shit. Mm. Um,
0: I think I'd like to know as well, like what your average week is. Like, do you have an average week or what kind of things are you doing? Yeah. Cause I would, I would, I would say that you are a successful writer. You are, you are doing it. You're, you're mm. not emerging for, from the outside anyway. Um, you kind of establish in this city. My so bank that... account's still emerging. <laughs> My overdraft sort but like Emerging. For someone who is for someone who is making who is writing. Yeah. Okay, and is uh who has um coverage in the city, what I what is your what do you do? Like what are you what are you actually doing?
1: So I'll pick a kind of average week because I'm in between houses at the moment, so it's a little bit skewed. But right. an average it's hard to pick a week. Yeah, I'll start with the day. Kind mm. of, I, I will usually get up about around eight-ish. Probably set my alarm for about eight. Mm. Um, and then I like to work from home quite a lot. I work from home or the Leeds Uni Library, mm. um, unless I've got meetings. Um, and meetings is something we could maybe discuss as a con of the industry, because there's so many of them. Right. Um, and a lot of them, I think, you can cover in an email. Um, but, yeah, anyway... So, I, reckon I get up about 8. I usually have a morning routine where I will do a cold shower, I'll do some exercises, I'll meditate for a bit, and that will take me around till about 8.45. And I try and sort of get on by my emails about 9. Um, in the morning, I'm not, I have a kind of burst from about 9 till say half 11, 12, where I can do some emails, or I'll do some social media work for my clients, I might do a little bit of writing. And then about 12 till 3, I always lull. So at mm-hmm. that point I might meet some friends for lunch and might go to the gym and um, might chill out and read. Um and then I, I pick up again in the evening. So maybe three till however long I need to, I will um I will focus on whatever I need to do that day. And I love a to do list as well. So having a to do list of what I need to do that day is important. If that takes me up to ten pm, it takes me up to ten pm. Um for example, today's gonna be quite a long day and I, I've got a deadline for Friday, so I'm just gonna be in the library late a few days. Um, but if it takes me till half five and I finish at half five if I get it done earlier I could take the rest of the day off Um, and also my morning routine is I sometimes listen to podcasts and you have some guys like yeah I get up at 4.15 I go for a two mile run then I swim in an ice cold lake and and you just think I always think like what a dick (laughs) so mine isn't I don't beat myself up if I don't do it but more often than not if I'm meditating three, four, five days a week instead of one or two I'll have a better week so I used to be super rigid and now I'm kind of like I'll oh, we'll hit that routine most days but every now and then I'll just um, especially weekends I'll kind of take a chill
0: So I, I'm interested in this so let, let, let's kind of go more into that so what are the what are the things that you like the core of your morning routine or the, or the things that you go back to when you're in a lull to get you back in the frame of mind or like what are those kind of really important things for you?
1: Um, meditating yeah I'm a big proponent of um, your subconscious works out a lot of problems that you don't sort of consciously think about. And when I meditate, I always feel my thinking's clearer and and things that are troubling me or I'm struggling with whether creatively or personally um they kind of just come to the surface. Um so I I know if I don't meditate for a while, I can see the kind of trigger warning signs in in the, in my behavior and things which might make me more anxious. Um so that's always my number one go to sleep getting a good night's sleep is really important. So I try and have a a semi-regular routine with it. Um, So they're two big foundations. Um, Exercising and eating as well. I think, you know, none of this is new, but when those sort of pillars of, say, sleep, uh, nutrition, exercise and meditation are all there, um, everything else kind of falls into place. Mm. So if I'm in a bit of a rut, I know the things I need to kind of go back to. And it is making them habit. So, like I said, I don't beat myself up if I slip a day or two, but it is kind of a bit like a habit now. Like I will wake up and I'll do this, um, and it's tough because I've been in between houses for a few months. So I'm actually looking forward to being in my new house and then uh, having a real kind of set routine that maybe embeds itself six or seven days of the week.
0: So, so let's talk about meetings then.
1: Yeah. I don't know, it's not... I feel, because if anyone listens to this that I've had a meeting with, they might think I'm talking about them. And it's not... It's not only
0: one meeting specifically. No, no, it's culture, just that... Right?
1: Uh, I think there was recently I had a week where, you know, you're talking about seven, eight meetings in the week. And it takes quite a lot of time out of your day to go into town and to meet people. And um. I just think, sometimes I feel like I'm in a Kafka novel, which is just like endless meetings and work to do, but then you never have time to do it. um. And it, look, especially when I meet new uh, clients, people I want to work with, definitely having a meeting face-to-face is the best thing. Um, but it's often a lot of the catch-up meetings I have, you know, I might be in a meeting, I have to go somewhere and I'm there for two hours and it's like uh, there's a team of us having a meeting. And I'm just thinking, you know, about 10 minutes of this has been relevant to me. Could you not have just emailed it? Because half my day's gone now. Um, so I think I need to probably be a little bit braver with saying, actually could this be done by email or, um, yeah, but you learn all these things by doing them and I kind of find out by what works and what doesn't feel like it works, how to move forward with mm. my practice, I guess. You must find it a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I, I think a meeting is a, the, kind of a last resort for me. Yeah, yeah. Like if we have, I think some things have to be done face-to-face. So I think you could, ca- I don't think you can go through a script properly.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you there.
0: Um, unless people are in the room and you can bounce ideas off really quickly. I think it's just a dig at rip time by the way. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, but I think I think uh that kind of slow email train of waiting for someone to reply and then they reply with another question and you've got to wait, and then you miss the email, that like kind of that could have been done really quickly in the in the meeting, but I totally understand that kind of
1: yeah and look a phone call and again I mean a phone call that's arranged anyone who calls me now out of the blue I think I think they're a psychopath right? like <laughs> well, you're invading my time yeah. uh, if people like sometimes are like oh do you want to check in at lunch about this I'll call you at 12.15 and yeah then we can do it then And I don't have to leave the house commute in and then I'm in town and I commute back and I've had to you know Um, but um, yeah you, you are like some people again send multiple things in different emails which is another kind of pet hate but
0: yeah, I actually think, speaking from my personal journey, like I've had to learn that because uh, often when you're putting on your own thing, you're kind of blinkered into we need to make this happen. Yeah, but you're. I, I mean, I don't know if anyone else does this, but well, they must if they're calling meetings that are not relevant to you. But they, other people have different lives and different projects and different. Uh, things going on that aren't your thing. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of the time you're just like, yeah, well, we need a team meeting. It, it needs to be a, t- a full team meeting
1: because if anyone misses anything, that's going to be the worst thing. Yeah. I'm not saying that those occasions don't happen. I just mm. don't think they happen as regularly as the meeting team meetings are called. Yeah. Um, and again, it's not a rip No. <laughs> I think we've needed some team meetings in the, in the past with the type of show we do. It's yeah. almost like... It's a necessity. I mean, we've gone away on retreat, haven't we, for several yeah, yeah.
0: days, you know, sleeping in the same building together. So, I mean.
1: I thought you were going to say the same bed. <laughs> well, I didn't sleep anywhere else better. I wasn't, I aw- uh, I I wasn't aware you of that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, what, when, you, when you are writing, mm-hmm. do you have similar techniques or kind of exercises that you do yourself that you. This is like for, for other writers that, yeah, might, yeah. that might benefit from this. Like what, are you, what are you teaching in your workshops? What are the things that you use in your own practice?
1: Um, yeah, so I'm a big proponent of uh, like studying your craft. Like, you know, I did a, a year MA in writing. Then I did uh, um, Street Voices with Freedom Studios in Bradford, which is an Arts Council funded writing course that was for free for people, um, which you had to be selected to take part in. It was, uh, that was kind of a turning point for me. Um, it was run by Aisha Khan and my writing mentor was Mark Catley and um, yeah that it was learning about what makes good stories and I think I had a bit of an arrogance that like I don't want structure to kind of constrain me um, but then when you actually read into it and research you know every culture and civilization around the world independently came up with their own kind of stories and origin stories and they all basically follow the same kind of um, structure mm. And it's it's almost like there's something inherent in that structure in how we understand the world. Um, and, you know, it, it involves things like, you know, exposition at the start, uh, conflict, climax, resolution. Um, and I then kind of thought, wow, there's something kind of inherent in how we understand the world in our story structure. And then you find some people who kind of break that structure. And they break it by understanding the structure and why they're breaking it. So you're breaking it for the right reason. So I'm a big proponent of learning, kind of like um, what traditional structures are, different kind of types, and and then having fun and playing with that, and playing with that for the right reason, and to heighten something. Or um, and again, I, I see so many writers who get kind of they wince a bit when you mention structure, but it's not constraining. Like you can play with it. Mm. Uh, it's it's it, you use it creatively. Um, so I always before I kind of. I might write the odd scene that's in my head, but I will always focus on like a, a kind of scene by scene outline. I'll break it down. And I'll think what each scene's doing. How is that moving the narrative forward? Um, I'll think about each character, give them a kind of bio. So I really know it all. Uh, I'll spend weeks on that before I write any of the words. Um, and then when you go to write the words, it's so much easier. So that's my, my first bit is just writing like mapping and breaking things down by acts and breaking it down by scenes. um yeah, so that's what I kind of teach in my writing workshops, and it's what works for me.
0: And you recommended the book Into the Woods. right? Yeah,
1: yeah, by John York. Yeah, it's a really good. Which kind talks of breakdown. about. Yeah.
0: Is it five acts? The.
1: Yeah, it's a five-act structure, but I think he says as well, you can kind of, you can kind of look at the three-act structure and then break that a little bit further to five acts, mm. but. I think people can get overly confused with the five-act structure. So I usually... I, I'll show it them, but I'll kind of focus on... You know, if you want to be a purely simple, beginning, middle, end. Mm. And then you can look at that as your kind of three-act structure. Um, but, yeah, so that's, they're usually my building blocks. We did a talk at University of Huddersfield
0: yep. about um, about what it's like to...
1: Work in the industry. Work yeah. in the
0: industry, work in the arts, yeah. Uh, what, what things did you take out of that?
1: Well, I went into that talk thinking, here's all the stuff I wish I knew before yeah. I went into it, before I went into the industry. Um, and I kind of got the impression that the students there hadn't thought about a lot of what we mentioned. So I know one of the questions we asked people was, uh, well, we asked them three questions just to write down A or B. First one was, what is more important to you, regular income or flexibility? Then we ask them, what is more important to you? Job security or the possibility of working on different creative projects throughout the year. Then what is more important to you? Having evenings and weekends always free for friends or family, or often being at um, you know, arts events or late nights and you know at weekends. Um, and basically we said if if you've answered A to any of the questions, you should have a real think about whether the freelance arts life is is for you. Um, you know, there are definitely jobs in venues which are more secure and more like traditional nine-to-five jobs but a lot of the freelance work you know thinking writing acting freelance producing directing um you know we are all we all understand we've got to pay rent and you know we want to have holidays and spend time with loved ones and we we do get to do that but if you're really if you really think that like having job security and having regular income is a foundation of what makes you happy and doesn't make you anxious then you should really think about that before entering this job because I know quite a few people who've tried it and it doesn't work and then they kind of like, um, you know, fall out of the industry because it doesn't work for them. So, and it's good to try things and see if it doesn't work, but I think it's people who tried with no understanding that there's going to be significant obstacles. Um, And it's a tough job. It can test your mental health in loads of ways. So we kind of um, basically focused it around that and then we signposted them to certain things like Furnished Social Club and um, told them, asked them if they, you know, any of them had written to the LBT. I don't think any of them had. Mm. Um, they said, why don't you just do that, volunteer.
0: That being their local theatre, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Kind of- yeah, yeah, LBT in Hoddersfield is a great theatre. Yeah, so I kind of, yeah, just wanted to give them what I wish people had kind of told me.
0: And um, And that's coming from someone who... That's coming from someone who was in a venue job permanently, yeah who saw what it was like and thought that's not for me
1: yeah
0: i'm gonna I'm gonna go all in on the freelance
1: yeah I just felt constrained by that job and a lot of my good friends work in regular jobs and they're really happy and I can tell they really anxious doing what I do and not knowing when one project ends what might be the next one and it's down to what type of person you are um but yeah I was in that and it didn't work for me um and freelancing does you know I have a really nice quality of life um money can be a bit tough sometimes but I wouldn't change it so so what do you do about that then what do you
0: you've got other some uh sources of income right so you do the uh, social media stuff yeah yeah you work with an array of different companies yeah yeah you also work with the kind of big hitters in Leeds, kind of BBC Radio, BBC uh, Leeds Playhouse, Red Ladder.
1: Yeah, I mean, so again, it's like a one-off commission, and then mm. you know that money's.
0: And you're strategic with it, personally. I
1: learnt that. Yeah, I wasn't at first. <laughs> first commission I got, I was like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, with <laughs> of Wall Street, whatever it is. I was like. Buying rounds, I was balling and then it was like gone two weeks later. Um, no, I, I'm much better with it now than I was. Um, yeah, and you know, you, you learn that. But yeah, no, so social media, I, I manage Twitter feeds and Facebook um, posts for either one-off projects for arts companies or some regular clients. I have them out with websites, some of their mailing lists, and that just brings in the kind of regular income, that um, worst-case scenario I can you know just about live off. Um, and it's about probably... Two and a half, two, three days a a week work, but I spread that over, um, so it still gives me time to do other things. And if I've got a big commission, I'll ease up on that social media work and say, right, I'm focusing on this. So I went to a Ireland island recently, stayed at my grandparents, and just focused on a draft of a second play for Red Ladder, um, and I can kind of shut down then. And yeah,
0: like immerse yourself in that writing.
1: Yeah, but I still need another sort of income, even um, even now. Yeah, it's. I think a lot of people are stuck in the emerging phase, um, and even if people think you've emerged, it's it's still hard to to pay the bill solely from from writing.
0: And so, what would you what would you advise someone who is, um, maybe even even a step below that? So, what kind of tactics would you advise them employ?
1: The financial side is tough, to be honest, um, and I don't have an agent, and I. I'm purposely not, um, I I don't want one at the moment because I'm getting enough work Mm. uh, through word of mouth and and off my own back that I don't want to just give a percentage of that to someone unless they come to me and say, we can open doors here, here and here for you. Um, But with that is that I think perhaps some of my financial negotiating hasn't been on point but then i came across things like you know there's the i there's the itc there's the writers guild and they can always help you with um contracts and breaking up your time and stuff so i'd probably advise people to look at those organizations and just um yeah and just have a think about how because often you don't know how how long something will take you but then when you've done a few scripts you kind of know how much and um writers rates are quite high for emerging companies writers rates are unrealistic mm. so maybe if you go back to companies and say, oh, well, this will take me three weeks' work, this is what my day rate is, you know, it's a far more manageable fee and at least you can, you know, get paid for the time you're working on it. Um, so have a think about those sort of things. I, I didn't for a while, so, yeah.
0: And, yeah, so that, I mean, that's about, like, knowing your worth as a writer as well. Yeah, it's like yeah. There's a kind of problem with underselling yourself for the, just to get the job, right? It's kind of-
1: there is, but when you're emerging, you know, you kind of... If there's a good opportunity, you know, when you're emerging, you write competitions for free. Mm. So often, just to get you, it's a fine balance. And there's, a, there's there'll come a point when you feel like you can then justify. But you know, those things I did, and I, you know, I'll go back and I'll do the same because they gave me a great platform. Um, but what now, were those things. Um, well, I guess like a lot of the competitions, mm. um, and you know, the first uh, grants for the arts I did to put on the life and soul. You know, I helped produce it, did the marketing and did a lot of I was in the rehearsals and mm. I wrote it and I've actually broke down my hours by the fee I got. It was, you know, I was working for nothing pretty mm. much. But I wouldn't change that because, you know, from that came loads of things. Um it's almost it's almost an investment in the future yourself yeah, and yeah. in the
0: future. And you,
1: you, yeah. yeah. Still waiting for the return on the <laughs> <go>.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Um, this is I don't know. This is something that people just don't talk about. Is it? it's like kind of that kind of they only see, people only see Chris O'Connor at that you know at the byline or the you know at the at those arts events. They don't they don't see you writing every day or perfecting your craft and doing these workshops and that kind of thing. So what?
1: Yeah. Well, again, I think I said earlier you've got to really want it, right? And I I don't know. I always. I feel guilty but I always sometimes it's hard it used to be hard for me to have time off if I didn't have um any work to do I would be writing and then even when I was doing social media work and I'd always try and even if I socialized then I'd make sure i worked work that evening or I made it um I'd always feel guilty about not working whereas now I've kind of learned to earn my breaks and um, so do you remember when you had to like revise for exams <laughs> yeah. and like Wimbledon would be on or something and you'll be like, "Oh, I'm going to watch Wimbledon. It's like some five-set epic with the and, and Yeah, like, okay, I can justify that. And then you find like the next day you're putting off a vision again, and you're watching some first-round match. Like <laughs> you don't know either of them. And um, I, I hate the idea of doing something that should be pleasurable, but it's making me feel guilty because I'm putting off something else. Yeah. So now, if I want to, if I want to watch a film in the evening, or if I want to do something, I'll make sure I hit my to-do list beforehand, so I've earned it. So then I'll happily turn my phone into flight mode and not look at emails. And I'll just earn that time off. Um, but yeah, when I'm working, I, I do, I'm a big fan of mixed martial arts and boxing and I'm always obsessed with watching like the preview shows and seeing the fighters train up. To, I, I love watching people train towards fights. Mm. And I always try and see it as the same analogy. Like Those hours in the gym that they do are when I'm doing my hours of um, prepping structure or researching stuff or writing things. And uh, that's hopefully what you see on fight night or on show night. It's like you reap those rewards, but you've got to learn to rest as well.
0: And what, when you are writing, what are the kind of? Do you listen to music? Do you do you? What what are your influences, or what gets you inspired? By
1: that? I have a kind of work playlist on Spotify. There's a lot of kind of classical stuff, all like ambient, um, electro sort of things, so no lyrics. Um, but when I was writing "Marching Lembers, I, I was listening to a lot of Irish rebel music because it was. Uh, linking to the topics um but yeah i kind of just put in music that helps me get into a bit of a zone um and that's what it's about really it's about how can you maximize flow state when you're in a task so going to silent study working at home um, making sure my phone's not in the room it's on flight mode uh and then putting on music and just working And meditating helps with that as well. The more I meditate, the more easily I get into flow state in other tasks. And that used to be something I struggled with. I had really bad OCD for a while and a random thought would always take me out of flow state. So I've worked really hard at that. But now, you know, I can lose an hour to writing and it feels like I've only been there 10 minutes. Um, So, yeah, I kind of learned how I best cultivate that flow state is when I do my best work. And then it's almost like it channels through you sort of thing. But, yeah. Yeah. You don't know where it comes from. And it no, sounds wanky that. Thing. No,
0: I don't think it does. I think I think it's uh that's the process, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, the to perfect to to kind of perfect that skill of it yeah, is yeah. your process. And that helps you do the thing that you do. Yeah. It's like you're, the engine, you're just building the engine of the car. Yeah,
1: yeah. It takes a while to figure out how it works as well. And and
0: not every writer is going to be the same, is it? So no, no, simply not. You've just found out that that is your, like, you, you're you happier doing it that way.
1: Yeah, I've was. been at be writing workshops so where a writer says, you know, if you're not writing every day, you're not going to make it. You know, you you get up at six and I do an hour writing before I start. And then every evening I do another two hours. And I think I want to get to a stage where I am writing a bit every day. But at the moment, a lot of my a lot of it is in my subconscious so I allow that time to churn stuff over and then I kind of I binge write so if I'm writing working on a project I'll spend three weeks pretty intense on it and then I kind of take a bit of time off and um, but I want to get into the habit where financially I'm happy to set aside an hour maybe every day where I'm just focusing on writing and I'm getting there I'm starting to get into the habit of that Um I was at a, a kind of writing workshop kind of day thing with Dan By and Steph Smith and I think Steph was saying she has a thousand words a day target and no matter if it's bad words or good words she just hits that target and I didn't want to immediately say okay I'm going to write a thousand words a day I just thought right well I'll do a thousand words two days a week and uh, again that's gone up in the air since I've kind of been in between houses and moving and been visiting family in Ireland and there's a lot of things going on but that's kind of what I think I'll settle into some sort of practice like that. Um, yeah and how do you prioritise
0: stuff later today? like how do you how do you work with your to-do list and how do you like how do you logistically work
1: Um well <laughs> deadlines so if I'm helping a company promote a show and they've got a show tomorrow night that's my priority to spend a bit of time just listening to tweets for that then I, I two or three times a week I'll go through all my emails reply to them and add anything to my to-do list or respond to them Um and then, yeah, it's, deadlines and dates are kind of what I go off. So mm. whatever's most pressing. And even if there's a show tomorrow night I'm promoting, if there's a deadline next Friday, that deadline next Friday is equally as pressing because the amount of work involved in it. So i spend an hour doing some tweaks to that show. Then i work on that deadline. And then maybe they've got another show on the Friday before, but that won't take me as long. So I'll put that off. I've worked on the, the theatre writing piece, if that makes sense. mm
0: and you and you work from paper, pen and paper. You,
1: uh, to do lists, yeah, mm-hmm. and structuring. I will do pen and paper, and then I'll be at my laptop typing, yeah.
0: So you don't write by hand when you're writing scripts. You write on the on your laptop. No, it's
1: not William Shakespeare's time. <laughs> <are they?
0: laughs> um,
1: yeah, and no, I type on my laptop. Yeah, yeah. You, no, it's two thousand nineteen. No quill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no quill.
0: Yeah. And um, what's next then for you? How how are you strategically planning for like? the rest of this year, yes. the year after? Like, how are you thinking about so, you as a writer?
1: This year I had a, a productive meeting with the BFI and um, some directors about doing some short film stuff. So I'd like to break into short film. Um, I broke into radio last year, mm-hmm. so I want to extend that this year into a full-length radio play. Um, I'm working on Extending Exodus, which was the short radio play it was on BBC Radio Leeds um, and iPlayer. Um, I have a comedy sketch show, which... We recently were unsuccessful in funding, but we're looking to do another version of it. I've um, got Sister Peter Red Ladder, and um, doing a lot of in mentality at the moment. We're kind of picking up our podcasting, so they're my focuses. But long-term plan would be, in the next couple of years, get into short film and uh, establish radio a bit more. And then the long-term dream, and you know, five to ten years, kind of <coughs> TV and film. So like Netflix and things like that has always been what I've wanted to do. Um, yeah, and th- that's the kind of like that's my goal. That's where I've set my point, and I know aiming there, I'll enjoy the destination, even if the goal doesn't come.
0: So you you've got a lot of fingers in different pies. Yeah, yeah. You've got scripts that have it, a life of their own that can be either expanded or extended. Yeah, the life and soul yeah. still
1: touring today. It tours around um, uh, kind of working men's club pubs, uh, rugby league clubs, and um small studio theatres. It's raising awareness of um the male suicide epidemic that was going on and trying to get men to better navigate their way through life and there's still unfortunately a place for that conversation so um mm. it's still touring a bit.
0: Which is great and thank you very much for no worries. A pleasure. joining us um and being so open and kind of revealing some of your workings. All the best in the future.
1: Thanks for having me.